Hi, everybody, and welcome to the DCVC podcast. I'm your host, Akash Bhatt, and this is a show where I bring you leading angel investors and venture capitalists investing in the diverse tech landscape around the world. I'm very excited about this week's episode because we're set to explore for the very first time the tech ecosystem that is developing just on the other side of the border. With me on the show today is our very first guest from Pakistan, Ms. Banakwi. She's the co-founder and general partner at I2I Ventures, an early stage VC fund investing in tech startups solving problems for Pakistan. Pakistan's tech ecosystem has had an interesting journey over the last couple of years, with last year particularly being the best in terms of VC funding. I felt it was time for the podcast to truly be Desi and explore the venture ecosystems that fall under the Desi umbrella. So in today's episode, we will cover the fundamental changes that have occurred in Pakistan's tech ecosystem and why the country has put itself on the venture map, even attracting the likes of Y Combinator, Tiger Global, and Kleiner Perkins to its doorstep. This is a fantastic episode for anyone wanting to get a glimpse into Pakistan's landscape, and most importantly, for anyone within the country to understand the development from someone close to the ground. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ms. Ba. Nisbah, welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really excited to have you here today. You're the first Pakistani VC to be on the DCVC podcast as we expand the realms of the show itself. So really glad to have you and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Akash. I'm delighted to be here. I'm really excited to be uh, the first Pakistani VC talking to you. Um, hope you'll have many more on the show as you go along. Uh, but looking forward to our conversation and thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to bringing more Pakistani VCs on the podcast simply because I want people to understand both from within the Pakistani ecosystem as well as those outside to see what a vibrant ecosystem it's, it's turning out to be. And the little study that I've done over the last few months really tells me how far the ecosystems come along. And that's one of the things that I want to sit down and have a conversation with you. But before we get into all of that, I really want to go a little bit back into the past and talk about how everything's kind of turned out for you personally. So if you could rewind the clock a little bit and uh, really take us through your journey and how you eventually ended up in venture capital, I think that'll be great for all of our listeners to get a glimpse of your story. Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. So I'm basically from Karachi, uh, grew up over here. Uh, did my MBA back when MBAs were still cool, although my partner insists that they still are, but I, I'm not so sure. <laughs> so I uh, did my MBA in 97 and graduated uh, and started with Citigroup uh, as my first job. Uh, corporate banking was all the rage at the time uh, in Pakistan and foreign banks like Citibank were doing really well. So I joined, uh, joined City, started in uh, corporate banking worked in transaction banking as well as corporate finance, um, managed a $100 million loan book. And then at some point realized I didn't really want to be a banker uh, when I grew up, so to speak. Um, and so I moved into a public affairs sort of chief of staff kind of role with the CEO of Citibank in Pakistan at the time, where I got more exposure to both the regulatory landscape as well as you know the Citigroup Foundation as they were looking at development projects in Pakistan, um, internal and external communications, et cetera. And that's where I came across impact investing and acumen, 
which at the time was Acumen Fund, which is a social venture fund. They raise philanthropic money and then they invest it through a double bottom line investing approach in social enterprises across different sectors, including healthcare, housing, uh, finance and financial inclusion, agriculture, energy, water and sanitation, et cetera. Uh, so what, what my experience with Acumen was great. They were just starting out. I was a second employee, helped build the team and the portfolio, but that allowed me to see Pakistan at a real grassroots level. Um, and to be honest, something that I hadn't seen firsthand before. Um, and I got a chance to go into Bastis, into low-income communities and understand how people made decisions, where the gaps were in terms of access to goods and services, how much rent seeking really happens at the base of the pyramid, but also you know, the mass market opportunity, like what the, the vast majority of Pakistan, uh, Pakistani population does and does not have access to. So really was I an eye opener from that perspective. Moved with them to New York. I was with them uh, in New York for a few years. Uh, and at some point I joined a fintech startup out of the US, uh, focused on secure authentication, but looking at global markets. So in a global role, I was actually looking at uh, frontier and emerging markets uh, in Africa, Asia, Middle East, um, et cetera, uh, including Pakistan. And uh, that gave me not only an appreciation for uh, life in a startup because I was employee number two there again. So very, very early days, uh, actually 2.5. But uh, not only did I get a better understanding of how hard it is for startups and to be in a startup early team, but also recognized how hard it is to build in frontier markets and emerging markets where, um, and Pakistan obviously is one of them. Um, and along with that, understanding, you know, fintech and uh, more of exposure to the technology side of things uh, was with them for a few years as well. Uh, in parallel, I've been um, on the advisory board of Invest to Innovate, which actually my partner in the fund, Kusum Lakhani, founded a decade ago. So I've been involved with that company for the last decade, and they were Pakistan's first startup accelerator, um, as well as a company that works on the research and insight side. So over the last few years, we've actually been working with startups um, as well as training other incubators and accelerators, not only in Pakistan, but also regionally. Um, and then we're focused on uh, putting out research for the ecosystem in Pakistan more broadly. Uh, so by association with that organization, I was actually getting exposure to the startup space uh, over the last decade. And then a few years ago, uh, when Kusum decided to set up a venture fund as a sister entity to Invest to Innovate, uh, which is the accelerator, she asked if I would want to join her. I was taking a sabbatical. I thought I'd have a year of investing in myself, uh, sitting on a beach, maybe reading things, uh, catching up on life after 20 years of working nonstop. But that was cut short uh, just after three months. Um, I have no regrets there. But uh, so I decided to join her and uh, together we founded I2I Ventures, um, which is now the VC fund where I am co-founder and GP and happy to share a little bit more about that through our conversation. Love how that story has kind of turned out. And uh, before we go ahead, I just want to mention this quickly and correct me here if I'm wrong, Ms. Pa, but um, just wanted to get all of our listeners to understand what double bottom line investing basically means. It's mm -hmm. essentially an emerging field of impact investing where you're hoping to not just get a financial return um, from an investor point of view, but also hoping that your money can contribute back to a social cause, save resources or contribute to an effort that they care about, about the society in one way or the other. The possibilities here could be you know, endless, anything from um, 
poverty alleviation to affordable housing to natural resource conservation and perhaps what's is kind of like very top of mind for a lot of people right now is you know global warming and climate change so that's basically what double bottom line investing really means but now coming back to you mispa you know you really talked about having spent a lot of time here in the us then going back being part of an early stage fintech organization uh before being an advisor and then going out to launch this fund what experience in your opinion has kind of like really been rewarding for you in terms of setting you up for a role as a vc the mm-hmm. only reason i ask this question is when people are listening to this from pakistan and around the world i really want them to get a sense of what are some of the traditional paths and non traditional paths that people end up taking to get to venture because when you take a look at it from outside typically people will say that you need a finance background hey this person spent a lot of time um you know in the financial industry and therefore maybe they understand the space really really well but we've seen that the narrative is changing so much within venture capital today you don't have to be from either a technical background or a finance background to either set up a fund or find a job within venture you can be from the arts and humanitarian background and you can still be mm-hmm. part of the venture capital industry so in your experience if you're putting things in retrospect and looking back at how your professional life's kind of played out what is that thing that kind of set you up for a career in vc mm-hmm. yeah that's such a great question akash and and i think it speaks to the broader what we're calling now the democratization of vc globally right um i think for me it's never it's not a path it's a non-linear path it's not something that if you'd asked me even 10 years ago i would have seen myself doing it's only with hindsight that i look back now and i think hmm like everything that i've done every role that i've sort of played in whether in a corp- large you know 300000 person corporate like city group or a, a 2.5 person startup which is 4 months old um i think in some way or the other has led to who i am as an investor um and i think even though you know it is non linear i can piece i can piece that story looking backwards now because i've been on all sides of the table right i've been on the side of the table which is writing you know millions of dollars worth of checks previously i've been on the side of the table which is trying to evaluate what are the opportunities in the mass market in a in a country like pakistan uh which is really uh you know where the where the money and the opportunity is at um and then i've also actually got my hands dirty uh, through the operating experience um i think increasingly we're seeing in venture people coming with diverse backgrounds like you said um it's a little bit of the realization that you know in order to make good bets on people uh it really is about people first uh and then recognizing opportunities for us because we're early stage investors uh the founders are such a play such a key role in how we make our investment decision to actually come into a company that that evaluation of a good or a bad founder is actually uh you know is really helped by my background because i've again given the diversity of what my experience has been like i'm able to pinpoint certain traits uh my partner and i kalsum and i often joke about this you know we used to call it gut but i think it's pattern recognition and after after a while of being in different roles you start seeing what works and what doesn't so again my first hand operator experience helps me empathize with founders uh, but also helps me recognize uh, you know smell smell um, you know crap if, if it's coming my way uh, because i've i've been there and i've seen it i think one of the things that we joke about on the team is that i am the 
the fintech cynic or the the grumpy granddad a lot of times when we're talking to potential mm-hmm. fintech investees because i'm asking the hard questions right and i'm asking the hard questions because i've been there i know how hard it is to build on the ground and i think that kind of perspective helps me empathize a lot with founders but helps also helps me see when people are glossing over operationalizing something that you know where the, the devil really is in the details so i think it's that that aspect of being an operator which is really important i think you also have to understand the broader regulatory landscape you have to understand where the market is at where the country is at what the opportunities are and i think uh that kind of expectation um and that kind of understanding and experience is not just limited to people that are from the finance space um i do think you need to understand investing um but that's something that can be learned right you can learn hard finance skills or you can have somebody on the team that's going to help you uh kick the tires on a financial model but if you're actually especially at the early stage investing in founders you really need to be able to evaluate those founders their ability or your actually you know sort of um your conviction in whether or not they can build uh, and then the market opportunity that they're targeting um and that market opportunity also is you know in the pakistan context looking at big problems around us that need to be solved so it's not rocket science to be honest i think the finance aspect of it can be learned uh there can be people on the team that help model out certain things you know whether it's talk whether you're talking about portfolio construction or whether you're talking about a return analysis for an investee company or a potential investee company um so i think it's it's not um it's not that hard to get access to those finance skills i think what's harder is building uh, that investment thesis um and to be honest even though i came to this with you know over 20 years of experience i have learned so much in the last two and a half years of being an investor that i'm not the investor i was when i started out two years ago um and i think that that journey is something that also speaks to how much you can learn once you're actually in the space so well, there's a lot that you touched upon there which i couldn't you know agree more with uh but one of the things that you touched upon was talking about your experience being an operator now this is a much debated subject within venture as such right and you'll also hear a lot of founders talking about this in closed forums when you're talking about taking money from a vc having had that operator experience definitely helps from an empathy standpoint and then you have the other side of the coin in the debate where a lot of people say you don't really have had to like build anything to, to be a part of venture capital which side of the coin do you stand on today wow that's a tough one <laughs> um i actually think it really helps uh, i don't think it's an it's a must but i think it helps because like i was saying you know you have empathy for founders because you understand what they're going through uh, but then you also understand the questions to ask and i think being on the operator side you realize how important it is to ask the right questions it's not important to have the right answers always i think it's those are things that you can find your way through if you have you know a good team if you have advisors if you have an open mindset if you're open to feedback if you're a learner um those are things as a founder that you can navigate over time uh with the right community around you with the right mindset and approach uh, yourself but i think um you know just just having that openness uh comes from having been in that space yourself and i think it's important to ask the right questions and help founders navigate as they're going through all of this i think there are two aspects to uh having that operator background i think one is making the investment decision which you already touched upon i think there being an, an operator definitely helps 
Um, I think it also helps in portfolio support, right? As investors, at least at I2I Ventures, we're very conscious about not being helicopter investors, not being, um, you know, not hovering over our startups, but actually helping them and enabling them uh, as they as they navigate, you know, their own sort of strategy, their landscape, uh, and and what they need to do to succeed in their space. Um, and that sometimes means recognizing that we don't have the answers either, but that we can help them think through some of those questions. So I think that operator experience. Uh, I don't think it's a, a must. Uh, but I think it's important. Um, and even if we talk about the venture space more broadly uh, now, Akash, you were talking about, you know, how um, the, the, the types of venture investors has also started changing. And there are many more, there's much more diversity, which I think is a definitely a good thing, not only in terms of uh, gender and ethnic uh, backgrounds, but also just in terms of various experiences. I think as that is happening, we're starting to see more of these angel operators coming in and having an operator background and just making small investments where they're able to help people that are raising VC funding in a way that you know maybe other investors can't. And that also speaks to the fact that operators themselves can add a lot of value. So I think to your question, while I don't think uh, it's a, a must, I do think it's definitely a positive um, and, and, and definitely helps as you make investment decisions, and then as you help your investee companies grow. I think that's a fantastic point that you made. And it's a great transition into the next segment, which where I was hoping to really talk about the ecosystem and the landscape of venture in Pakistan right now. But I think you set us up really well, talking about angel investors and obviously operator uh, VCs. Kind of like Ben a very hot subject all over the world, maybe like three years ago or so when the whole term operator VC was coined. Um, we mm. kind of like saw this in the past, but didn't really have like a, a proper terminology for it. Now looking at the landscape in Pakistan, what's kind of driving some of this innovation and the need and want to be investing in early stage companies in your side of the world? Yeah, such a great question. Um, and, you know, as uh, I'm so glad that you're asking that as a first question that we're talking about in the Pakistan context, because this really has been one of the main reasons why the Pakistan startup space and the VC space, the tech ecosystem has taken off in the last two years. Uh, just as a, as a sidebar, uh, Pakistani startups raised you know, $350 million this year, uh, well, in 2021, a lot smaller than some of the other uh, uh, you know, markets around, especially India. But uh, it's more than five times what they raised the year before that. They raised only 60 million um, in 2020 and 47, uh, well, 66 million in 2020 and 47 in, in 2019. So, uh, you know, this 2021 has really been a marquee year for the Pakistan uh, tech ecosystem. And one of the main reasons for that, I mean, there, there are several reasons which we can come to, but uh, the founders and what is happening on the founder side has been really one of the reasons that this has grown exponentially. And what's really interesting is that, you know, in, when you say that you can't, uh, you know, you can't aspire towards something that you don't see in front of you. I think we've had some uh, great role models recently. Um, you know, as you know, Kareem had an exit, which was a regional uh, mobility startup, had an exit when Uber bought it for $3 billion. Now, Kareem is uh, co-founded by a Pakistani, uh, founded out of the UAE, but Pakistan has been one of the key markets that helped propel it forward. 
uh, propellers growth forward. And it's been very visible in Pakistan. So not only were people able to associate with a Pakistani founder that did good, but they were also able to see this business model around them where, you know, not only was there a leveraging of the gig economy, people were getting jobs as drivers, uh, but people were using the service. They were using this, uh, you know, Uber-like service uh, to get, go from one place to the other. Um, and so the exposure to that on a first-hand basis, as well as, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that a lot of people actually worked at Kareem, had great experiences there. This was a fast-moving, uh, very strong on operations startup. Um, and those guys, a lot of them now have moved beyond, and this is not just Pakistan, I can say that for Egypt and Saudi as well, and some other regional markets, uh, UAE included, that these people that were in the early days of Kareem or in this were in the team have actually now launched their own startups. And what they're bringing is a mindset change in terms of uh, looking at the, uh, unlocking the Pakistan opportunity through a fast growing startup, through tech disruption. And these are people that actually have had strong operator background themselves, having done this, uh, you know, previously with a, with a company like Kareem. There are a few others as well uh, in the e-commerce space. There's Daraz. Uh, there's you know, Bikea that's been around for a few years also, which is uh, which is also looking at uh, moving goods and people. So, so the point is that not only have founders uh, got these kind of examples and this kind of experience, but because the generally the the interest in the startup space has grown, we're also seeing founders come from corporate backgrounds like Unilever or Nestle uh, or even banking, um, and now are saying, "Hey, I've got like five to seven years experience. I understand the market really well. Why don't I just start something on my own? Because I have a good sense of you know what." where the gaps are or what the opportunities are. So I think those are a couple of things on the founder side that we've started seeing. There is a little bit of, a, uh, of people sort of moving back to Pakistan. Uh, I don't think it's significant enough to be a real trend at this point. Uh, but I think there's, uh, from the founder perspective, I think this kind of interest in building in Pakistan and recognizing the opportunity to address a market where so much is broken uh, through technology and disruption has really been one of the key reasons why the space has grown um, so significantly in the last year. And then, you know, one other thing that I would say, and there are a couple of other reasons which, which I can touch upon as well, but one thing that's linked to this is increasing tech adoption during the pandemic. So we actually have, you know, we have a young population in Pakistan, um, you know, 60 to 70% under the age of 30 uh, and growing. We have 100 million plus broadband users. So access to internet is available. It's quite cheap. And so tech adoption is increasing in any case, and then COVID just accelerated that as well. So I think on the customer side, we started seeing uh, more um, sort of acceptability of, of tech uh, models. Uh, and that coupled with the fact that people were building good models actually really you know, pushed uh, the market forward. You made some fantastic points and laid out a, a comprehensive picture of what's kind of propelled the startup ecosystem in Pakistan and you know going back to a couple of points that you hit on especially last year was probably one of the most rewarding years for the country in terms of um, the funding that the startups were able to raise upwards of 300 million dollars which has never happened in the past and most importantly as well there are certain sectors that have you know kind of done well and you kind of touched upon those COVID kind of helped support that expansion as well and uh, fashion being one e-commerce being another essential services being uh, the other one out there now 
when we are talking about upcoming economies and upcoming markets from a startup perspective we obviously look firstly towards you know what the vcs are doing to support it but secondly most importantly is the infrastructure is what mm. are the government doing what are the local governments doing to support it what kind of initiatives has the government taken to support this growth um mm. the only reason i ask that is because i want to draw parallels to what happened in india um and i worked in the startup ecosystem uh, about 12 years now wow it seems like a long time but 12 years ago mm-hmm. um when nascom set up 10000 startups 10000 startups was an initiative with a long term vision of impacting 10000 companies over a span of 10 years plus through funding incubation acceleration mentorship and providing startups with any sort of a resource that would then help them uh launch companies and scale them further which also involved bringing together the best in class vcs giving them an opportunity to uh look at what's happening from the indian landscape point of view because india for a long time had been a talent exporter but mm. the government took a massive massive bet on the startup ecosystem and obviously the rewards are you know being seen now uh but 12 mm. years later you've seen companies go public you've obviously seen more unicorns come out of the country last year than ever before or in combined in history so there were mm. there was a huge role that the government played both at the central and at the domestic level within each state what is pakistan doing in terms of helping support that growth from a perspective where tomorrow if you look back at it and say hey back in 2020 these are the things that were set in place and today pakistan is where it is because of the initiatives that were taken how closely mm. do you think vcs also need to work with the uh, stakeholders from a government and infrastructure point point of view to really ensure that this is a robust solid support system that can really help and it's also in a way a cry to a lot of citizens to say hey don't go outside and build there's a vibrant ecosystem that's kind of developing here and it gives you a chance you know you pointed out to kareem as a great example even though it wasn't founded in pakistan the large user base was that are part of the country so it's really pointing to all of these factors saying you've got a vibrant ecosystem you've got a great infrastructure you obviously have a government that's supporting of course the vcs are setting up funds here you also have an opportunity now to take money from other foreign vc funds we obviously saw kleiner perkins make its investment last year in pakistan so all of these mm-hmm. factors are already pointing towards um rosy image of what the ecosystem looks like today and it can only get better in in the times to come mm. so how would you kind of like put all of these pieces together and say there are certain things that still need to fall into place but yeah things are you know going in the right direction but let's start out with the government and the infrastructural mm. progress that pakistan has made in the last few years sure i think um you know one of the one of the things that has been super helpful has been a supportive regulator like regulatory landscape a supportive government especially in the last couple of years um and i'll answer uh, two parts of your question together because you also talked about you know lobbying and and engaging on policy and like i myself have been on several of these working groups with the with the central bank which is uh, the state bank of pakistan and the secp which is the securities and exchange commission um as they've looked at revamping some of the laws so a couple of major things did happen in the last two years uh one of them being that uh the state bank actually allowed pakistani startups to set up holding companies outside the country 
which was not allowed previously. And that really did help uh, accelerate the comfort level that foreign investors had putting money into Pakistani companies. They didn't have to put the money in directly into the country. They could actually set them, set, put the money into holding companies abroad. Uh, that was pretty significant. I think along with that, there was some regularization around or easing up of regular regulations around exits um, and taking equity and dividends um, out of the country at the time of exit, which was clarified and made a little bit more conducive to growth. Um, and then, um, you know, the SECP, for example, launched a sandbox where they work with, uh, you know, NBFCs, non-banking financial companies and others that are looking to try new business models and areas that may not have been covered by regulations previously so that they can continue to co-create and work with the regulator as they, as they grow the space. Um, so a couple of these things have happened over the last uh, two years or so that have actually helped. On the fintech side, uh, there have been, an, uh, you know, there's been more clarity on regulations. The electronic money institution regulations were introduced a few years ago. Uh, just this year, but late last year, the digital banking uh, regulations have been released as well. I kind of maybe think it was this year, it was a few weeks ago. Uh, and that has been through a process of engagement with stakeholders uh, in the space. Um, and I think that speaks to the government really looking at uh, engaging with people and understanding what the what some of the major roadblocks are uh, and how they can be eased up and removed. I think there's still a way to go. Uh, there are things like you know taxation where there's there's an opportunity to incentivize digitization through a, a more sort of progressive tax policy. There's also an opportunity to uh, you know ease up some of the structural uh, often bottleneck that we see from a bureaucratic perspective. Uh, for foreign investors or people that are putting money into Pakistani startups just in terms of some of the KYC, et cetera, that needs to happen. It's pretty cumbersome as a process. But overall, I think there's been um, you know, a, a positive attitude from the government side in trying to open up some of these regulations. And that really has had an impact uh, on the Pakistani market. I think we are building the road in front of us as we go along to some extent. And what that means is that this is a continuous process. Uh, and we will continue to engage with the government. We're, we're just having, uh, you know, engaging on some policy discussions right now as well, where a few of us uh, early stage, uh, you know, VCs are actually uh, engaging with the government and giving our recommendations on policy. And again, it's great that the government is actually reaching out and asking for these because it shows that they are interested in, uh, in kind of fostering this continuing um, sort of support for the startup space. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's been positive so far. I also feel like to some extent, like, you know, the genies out of the bottle when you when you open things up and you see what a positive impact it's having, it's hard to go back on some of those regulations and, and you know, go back to the way things were before. Um, but so on, on this front, I'd say, Akash, that, you know, from a regulatory perspective, just things have happened relatively, uh, you know, in the last year or so. Uh, we've been working on it for the last two years. But taking a step back and looking at the evolution of the ecosystem in the last decade, I would say that uh, there have been other initiatives which have all led to this point as well. Uh, I mentioned our sister company is an accelerator that's been in the market uh, for the last decade. Uh, another accelerator that started around the same time was by the Punjab government. The Punjab IT board had set up Plan 9. Uh, which was an early, early incubator accelerator in Pakistan. And then the government subsequently engaged uh, with uh, the startup space by setting up Ignite, which actually has funded several incubation centers across the country. Uh, and what they've started doing over the last few years also is kind of 
you know, encouraging talent to come into the space, helping founders get access to mentors uh, and programs uh, such as incubators and accelerators, uh, you know, across different across different cities, and and they're they're continuing to grow their cohorts as well as the the footprint in different cities. So some of this work, you know, has been done, uh, has been happening for a while. Um, you know, the Nest is one another incubator that has been around for a while, and I think a lot of these things, like we joke and say, it takes a village, but really has uh, been a while coming uh, to the point where suddenly we've seen a lot of traction in the last two years. But it's not coming out of nowhere. I think um, a lot of people have been building heads down in this space before it, way before it was cool to do so. great points here and one of the things that i want to double down is the market opportunity right we talked about you know the ecosystem kind of like coming together right now to support the break of entrepreneurship in the country and mm. of course as we've seen these global narratives play out over the last um, years in some countries and decades um, in the other now where's the opportunity here misba because we keep talking about the 200 million people or 220 million people to be precise from a pakistan standpoint and even when we talk about these large economies that's kind of like what gets thrown around indonesia gets that all the time india mm-hmm. got it india still gets it 1.4 billion people population middle india is the 700 million opportunity we talked about it from a china perspective about 15 20 years ago when the chinese um, uh, startup ecosystem was blossoming mm-hmm. now building for 220 million people doesn't really mean that every every person out of that 220 million is actually going to be an end user it just talks about the potential you know tam um in general but that is also if you're being completely completely genderless saying hey maybe everybody at some point can become a user of my my technology mm-hmm. which in most cases won't happen that's an ideal case scenario but when you are looking at it where are the opportunities right now and what needs to be addressed this is both an opportunity for budding founders to actually take some cues especially if they're trying to like understand which sectors to be building into and at the same time also getting an insight into where the challenges lay within the ecosystem because it's not easy to go out and build either a consumer company or especially when you're talking about building enterprise as companies going global out of um, you know regions mm-hmm. in the asian um, uh, subcontinent because we have seen even even india for that matter you know just across the border it's not that we've come out with a lot of enterprise as companies we've just starting we just started our journey it's just been a few years that india is kind of positioning itself so we're still mm-hmm. playing catch up with a lot of other economies like israel's a great example of a country that's actually built always for the globe but what i'm really trying to get to here is it's not easy to build for such a big number we've seen that from various other countries and economies that have tried sitting with this kind of narrative so within the pakistani ecosystem when you're looking at opportunities today or you're looking at other funds and giving them any advice especially the budding few vcs who are entering the market maybe today or perhaps in the year or two from now what do they need to be aware about yeah lots to unpack here um so i think um look if we look at this year um pakistan has been showing trends that most other emerging economies have uh and in, in when they were at this time on their trajectory which is that some of the early sectors that take off are e-commerce fintech and logistics uh we often call them like you know this is a triangle it's a troika they they kind of work together 
uh, and uh, they, they sort of provide this basic ecosystem. Pakistan is no exception there as well. If we look at how much has been raised in the last year, uh, e-commerce as a sector is, has uh, seen the most amount of money raised. FinTech is close second, uh, but has seen the most number of deals uh, that have been uh, raising uh, founders that have been raising money. Um, and then logistics uh, and, and trucking has, has been the third sector, but also like the number three. So that's kind of following the pattern that we're seeing in other emerging economies at the time that they were, you know, at this at this stage of their development as well. I think what, what taking a step back, what I was, uh, you know, mentioning earlier, Akash, is that in a market like Pakistan, in a frontier economy or an emerging economy, there's a lot of opportunity because there's a lot that's broken and there are a lot of gaps. Um, there's a lot of rent-seeking behavior. Markets are inefficient in a lot of cases. And so there is an opportunity to address big problems. You talked about the TAM. We like to invest as I2I Ventures. We like to invest in founders that are solving big problems, that are looking at have-to-haves rather than nice-to-have niche products. I'm not going to be interested in a pizza-making robot unlike maybe a Silicon Valley VC that may be specializing in, in that kind of you know, robotics or technology. For me, founders that are addressing you know, the $70 billion agriculture market um, are exciting. The founders, which is like, for example, one of our agri-tech companies, which is called Taza. Uh, one of our companies, Credit Book, is looking at providing small and medium enterprises with uh, digitization of their ledger, like similar to Khata Book in India or Bukukash Bukuvarang in Indonesia. They're looking at a 25 million uh, uh, you know, SME opportunity with around 40 billion in unmet financial needs. Uh, another one of our investee companies is a female first fintech focused on, uh, you know, banking and credit and financial services, uh, uh, looking at women, only 7% of Pakistani women, which is 50% of the population, only 7% of that population even has a basic bank account. So if you look at the kind of opportunities there are in some of these big, big, big problems that need to get solved, I think those are the ones where, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to grow very fast. Uh, and I think those are uh, companies, those, those are markets that offer, offer a lot of growth potential as well. So, you know, given how big Pakistan is, you mentioned companies that are, the countries that are, you know, where, where ecosystems are focused outward. Um, I think we're starting to see that in Pakistan. We will see companies growing outward from here, both in the region and globally. But I think there's so much untapped uh, opportunity in Pakistan itself in terms of uh, where you can build and where you can grow that a lot of your a lot of your initial growth can actually just come from the country. Uh, again, we're much smaller than India, but India is that opportunity, right? Like, why would you need to go outside India when you can cater to a population um, that, you know, where you understand the market dynamics, you're on the ground, uh, and where there's a big need that you're actually fulfilling. So I think, um, you know, from the perspective of the kinds of sectors there are, uh, you know, we're also invested in an ed tech company. Ed tech is huge uh, as an opportunity in Pakistan, uh, and Ed Casa is actually focusing on exam prep uh, in that context. So there's, uh, there are opportunities in fintech, uh, in e-commerce uh, that are, you know, not unique to Pakistan, but where the Pakistan opportunity is so big that it's a bit of a no-brainer once you're able to figure out the right way to approach the opportunity. Um, I think we are going to see more activity in each of these sectors, uh, you know, as the market grows. Uh, I think there are there are areas that are um, you know that have done well regionally and globally 
uh, buy now, pay later, for example, is one um, that, you know, where people are starting to look at the Pakistan opportunity. Quick commerce is another where, you know, again, it's a challenging market, but regionally and globally, companies have raised a lot of money in that space. So there's there's some interest in Pakistan in that context as well. I think, um, you know, looking at the B2B opportunity in, in retail um, and disrupting, uh, you know, the way traditional markets work in terms of getting goods from the manufacturer all the way down to the Kiryana store or the retailer is also one where a lot of companies have seen traction in Pakistan, have seen good growth and have actually raised money as well. Um, so I think some of those areas are going to continue. Um, and it all comes down to what are what are those large TAMs um, that, that people are targeting. Um, and I think, you know, several verticals in fintech uh, uh, several verticals within e-commerce, uh, and then of course logistics um, and education are are two of those as well that that will I think continue to to see a lot of opportunity. These are fantastic points, and I wanted to bring our attention to something that we've seen that's kind of played out in you know geographies in Southeast Asia and India. What is kind of like unique to Pakistan also is the fact that you have structural advantage. Um, you know, Pakistan is probably from the outside world, it seems a little more close-knit. There's fewer provinces and states. There are mm. less regulatory barriers. Having a late start from an ecosystem point of view also means that you have a lot of advantages wherein you're, you can look at other people who have made mistakes and say, hey, we don't have to do the same thing that you know these guys have done. And yep. we saw that happen a lot, especially in the early days where China kind of like looked at what the US had done and basically built copycat models of that. And you know, they've done far better than the U.S. companies <laughs> themselves, you know. Alibaba is a yeah. great example of looking at e-commerce in the United States and doing a much better job uh, and then building a robust infrastructure of payments, of of deliveries, of, of retail, of, um, you know, just taking everything that was offline and converting that to an online model. Now, you have that opportunity within Pakistan as well. Now, copycats mm. are obviously not bad. Copycats are great, but where copycats actually become even more vital and kind of get really ingrained into an ecosystem is when you're able to add that desi mix, you know, that unique uniqueness <laughs> factor that is so, that is kind of like very unique to countries like ours, adding that local flavor um, kind of like makes it very, very different. So mm-hmm. is that how you also look at the opportunity saying, hey, if there's a copycat, bring it on, but Let's see how well and how best can you adapt it to the current ecosystem and the needs of the market so that we're able to provide something unique and make that experience so unique that it doesn't really relieve the consumer. That's kind of like how you also increase your LTV, right? If you're talking more so from mm-hmm. a VC terminology perspective, how difficult mm-hmm. and easy is to get nuanced in, um, in, in some of these categories and how are you seeing entrepreneurs build that narrative as uh, the ecosystem also un- unfolds in Pakistan to support these new niche sectors, which perhaps may seem small, but at the same time is such an essential component that it can become part of a larger player. Yeah, absolutely. So I think on the on the whole copycat aspect, um, we, we love it when founders learn from other markets. Uh, and yes, you're right, being late to the game also means that you have the ability to look at what others have been through, right? So we've already seen startups, for example, looking at uh, companies in India, which maybe didn't monetize early enough and monetized a lot later, you know, maybe by series B or C, and, and then kind of had the pressure of having to monetize 
after they've sort of you know been along the road for a while uh, and so companies are looking at at sort of you know learning lessons from there and saying okay what can we do differently to not find ourselves in that position by the time we've raised two more rounds of funding i think in terms of business models uh, you hit it on the head like you have to base your fire right you have to look at the local context you have to look at what works in in pakistan uh, you know one of our um, portfolio companies is an earned wage access uh, uh, company so uh, it's called abhi and they help people uh access their wages uh, you know before payday they studied models in in brazil in mexico in the middle east uh in philippines as they were building their own company and not only did they study those models but they also have some investors that invested in those companies early on so what they're able to do is look at the experience of those operators those founders and what's really great akash is that we're seeing a lot of pakistani founders reaching out to other founders and and you know just building that camaraderie building the community and and learning from their experience um you know our edtech company at casa reached out uh, has has reached out to founders uh, like the founder of topper for example in india and and they've engaged on getting feedback and thoughts from them uh, our investee company taza which works in agritech we actually i actually connected them um via co-investor to somebody at ninja cart in india uh and they've been talking to the founders there and really you know learning from their experiences because they're a few years ahead so founder the good founders are definitely doing that and and i'm sure i mean i'm just talking about my portfolio examples because i see that first hand i'm sure there are a number of other founders in the market that are doing this so not only are they learning uh, are they looking are they being inspired and learning about business models from others but they're actually actively engaging with founders in similar markets uh, and then tweaking for what needs to be done in pakistan um and i think that's really the success uh you know munib mayer who started by kia which is not one of our companies but you know has been a fast growing uh, startup in the mobility space uh has been you know looking at um you know what has been built uh in 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 southeast asia uh and and has sort of mimicked that but but uh really focused on pakistan and uh and how it how it gets adopted to the pakistan market the, the app is in urdu the engagement with the with the drivers is is very much localized in that context um and so i think that's very important to do and i think we're going to see more and more uh, of the successful founders building for pakistan um you know i i heard uh, a friend and a colleague say once that you know the uber of pakistan is not going to be uber it's going to be something that is regional or local uh, or the stripe of pakistan is not going to be stripe it's going to be something that's either home grown or uh, something that is uh, you know inspired by what they've seen as elsewhere but then developed for the local market um so i think that's quite important um you know as as you talked about uh building for the market more broadly and and acquisitions i think one thing i just want to touch upon there is that uh we've uh, you know we haven't yet invested in a company that is uh, in a in a fintech that's just setting up a neo bank uh but what we've done is invested in in uh, at least two of our fintechs you know are building financial services to the extent where they can become neo banks in the future but they're starting from a product or a service where there is a lot of customer engagement where there is customer adoption and building from there versus just starting off with saying i'm just going to build a new bank and i'm going to provide you know these five services from day 1 from day 0 uh and then see you know if you build it will they come or not um and i think that's quite thoughtful so i think 
that's also something that's important in a market that's so early is that you know you need to work with where the customers are where the consumers are at in terms of their tech adoption um and see what needs to be built you know where you need to be tech first and where you need to be product first and then let the technology come in with with the evolution of the product and that sometimes means that you can't copy paste a tech product that may have worked elsewhere but you need to see what your local market needs and build from there no what's also really important um to highlight here is how far um the the broadband penetration or the internet penetration in pakistan has come along you know we've been talking about the 220 million people opportunity but if you just take a look at where the country was a few years ago you'd only know that there was little penetration and today you've got about 110 million which is almost 50% of the population which obviously doesn't happen in many countries uh, especially when you know the startup ecosystem begins to boom so for vcs to kind of be in a market you need the market to have good startups but for startups to be in a hot market you need there to be capital otherwise they'll move towards uh markets where there is opportunity to raise that amount of money so they go hand in hand in some sense so moving the conversation a little bit away from the landscape to a little bit more around the lp appetite where does pakistanis or domestic lps let's go with domestic lps to begin with before we talk about foreign lps because i guess i guess as it it's it's easier to understand the foreign narrative given that the amount of money that's kind of lying outside of the country very similar to india as well a lot of money for the last 10 years or so has been foreign money that's kind of now seeing some sort of liquidity with ipos and acquisitions it's still not domestic capital that uh, has abundantly been invested in the country now very similarly what do you think about the lp appetite how has um how have domestic investors looked at ventures and asset class and thought about it what kind of conversations do you have when you have conversations with your lps or potential lps who have looked at your fund or the ones that you're looking um looking to have a conversation with yeah and you know pakistan is really unique that way because one thing you know that i didn't touch upon when we were talking about regulations is that um So most of the funds the VC funds that started in Pakistan started around the time we did give or take you know maybe 5 to 6 months before or after um which is now coming up to just you know around 2 years uh, and a bit and uh, actually most of us there are there are 6 7 of us that started around this time almost all of us are domiciled outside the country um and that's primarily because at the time uh, the VC fund structure the VC fund regulations uh were actually not very conducive to set up setting up in Pakistan there are a subset of the mutual fund regulations which are quite onerous uh because obviously mutual funds take money from the public at large um and there's a lot of uh you know quite heavy regulatory requirements reporting requirements uh and quite constrictive so so actually most of the vc funds that are investing even though we have teams on the ground uh like i'm fully based in pakistan and and so are several others they have actually raised money from their domiciled outside the country and then given the foreign exchange situation in pakistan they've actually raised most of their money from outside the country as well and what that really means is that most of us don't have local lps uh which is quite unique but is also uh in line with what you're talking about in you know when you mentioned uh india for example um i think the reason 
in Pakistan is a little unique to the to this point that I just made about the regulatory structure. But I think the second aspect of it is about mindset. I think in a market where VC is new, you actually often need people coming from outside who understand VC and understand how the market works to be able to take those first early bets. Now we're starting to see the, with the kind of activity we have, we're starting to see local investors being like, hey, that's really interesting. You know, if I can uh, actually come in um, and, and get these kind of returns or support companies that are growing really fast and, and are doing really well, uh, you know, why would I not? Um, and so I think what's, what's, what's interesting right now is that, uh, you know, a, the, a significant amount has actually uh, of this 350 million that I mentioned this year is actually come from international funds. Uh, and even that that has come from quote unquote local funds has is coming from pools of funds that have been raised internationally. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing uh, some of that continue uh, with more and more international funds looking at Pakistan. But I think we'll start seeing more of a homegrown uh, uh, LP base in Pakistan over the next few years because people are starting to see the opportunity. I think one thing that uh, you know is is was potentially similar with other regional economies also is that there tends to be a bit of a state mindset or a or a you know business owner mindset. Um, Multi generational family owning companies uh, are not used to sharing um, equity. They're not used to giving up control, and I think a lot of times people have been a little wary of the startup space because they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm not going to own more than 50% of this company when I invest in it? How will I control what the founder does? And that mindset is completely uh, you know, opposite to what helps startups thrive. And so we have seen some bad investors in Pakistan over the last decade or so, which is why you know, startups have been held back to a certain extent. I think that's going to start changing. I think more local investors are they're already coming in as angels, but we're going to start seeing more LPs and funds uh, that are coming in, as well as investors that are looking at supporting companies in, independently, individually. I think business houses and, and large business families are also excited about this opportunity. And everyone's kind of seeing, like, do we set up a fund of our own or do we come into another fund as an LP? Like, how can we actually be part of this, this really growing, uh, fast growing uh, space? I think in terms of, regional and global examples we have those in front of us uh, you know and people are starting to see that that can be possible in pakistan as well so it is an exciting time it's very early days still um, we do hope the momentum continues but it's definitely an exciting time to be in in an ecosystem that's relatively new but that is seeing exponential growth uh, and getting local local investors excited about it as much as foreign investors uh, are right now well, you hit the nail right on top of the head. Um, you know, the ecosystem has just arrived at the global stage and it's the beginning of a new dawn. And the more people are able to like take notice of this right now, the better it is in terms of getting in on the opportunity, both from a talent perspective, a founder perspective, and of course, from LP and VC perspective as well. You know, you've really touched upon a lot of points that kind of give an outsider like me, a good glimpse of the opportunity and challenges that currently exist within the ecosystem. And that's really important for anyone to understand um, any, any startup landscape. And you've done a fantastic job in doing so. But as, as I said, you know, we're just getting started. There's a massive opportunity that needs to be addressed here. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to how the narrative plays out in the coming months. Because um, 2022 is going to be a significant year. I feel 
if the country raised 300, 320 million dollars last year, I think this is going to be far more significant year because we will see more companies coming out of the country. Of course, um, when you have organizations like YC, Kleiner Perkins, Tiger Global, all taking an interest and helping companies grow from a global perspective, there will be a lot more domestic interest that's going to support that as well. And you're at the forefront of it. And uh, I'm really excited to see how this is going to play out, not just this year, but also in the coming few years and hope perhaps the decade. I want to bring you on at a later stage, um, perhaps it could be as early as towards the end of the year or early next year and kind of do like a recap of what the previous year was. And this is also something that I've been looking forward to doing with a bunch of VCs here in India is looking back at 2021 and then just decoding and deciphering the ecosystem for a lot of listeners. And I want to do that with you as well, Ms. Bar, bring you back early next year so that we can take a look at uh, 2022 as a year that that was and really talk about how far the ecosystems come along. And I'm very confident that we'll have a lot more insights to really share with the whole world about what's happened in the last 12 months in retrospect. So uh, this has been a great conversation for me personally. This was a quick 101 for me in terms of catching up with the Pakistani landscape, especially from a VC point of view. And um, I'm looking forward to like more um, with not just all the guests that come across from the Pakistani VC ecosystem, but also in general, hopefully bringing on some founders and talking to them about the challenges of fundraising um, and everything that, you know, they can share from their perspective about building companies in the country. Absolutely, Akash. Thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about our, our sort of ecosystem and where things are in Pakistan with you. And uh, I would love to come on again. It would be really interesting, I think, to do a retrospective and, and see, you know, the conversation we had today and, and where we are in the, in the market a year from now or, you know, let's say in another 10, 11 months. Uh, so definitely look forward to it. And uh, thanks again for, for having me on. And I'm really honored that I'm the first Pakistani VC uh, on the Desi VC podcast. And, uh, and I hope there'll be many more. And, and, and thanks so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed our conversation. So that brings us to the end of this episode. And Mizbah truly put a spotlight on several aspects surrounding Pakistan's growth story. While the markets and opportunities are still nascent, it is quite evident that there is a lot of a case to be made in the coming years for Pakistan's growth story from a global perspective. I would highly urge you to follow this closely and as Mizbah rightly put it, the next few years would be a really defining period for the tech ecosystem in Pakistan. Well, if you're like me and you've enjoyed this episode and all the ones that we've been bringing you so far and would like to hear more such guests, do subscribe to the podcast and share it with as many people as you think would enjoy listening to it. It really helps others discover the show and most importantly, keeps you up to date about all the episodes that we bring straight to your phone. Thanks again for joining me on this episode. Next week, we have another great guest on the show who will shed light on what it means to be both an LP and a GP at the same time. So stay tuned to find out who it is. I'll see you next week here on the podcast. And until then, stay safe, everybody, and keep hustling.